0: Travelcast episode 255 The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners such as yourself I'm your host Norm Sherman So we're closing out HP Lovecraft month this week with part 2 of The wreck of the Charles Dexter Ward where authors Elizabeth Bear and Sarah Manette have discovered the only way to make a giant living spaceship fish any more badass is to make it a giant zombie spaceship fish. Although our protagonist Cynthia and her Arkhamer friend Hester might disagree, seeing as how they're trapped inside the thing with trans-dimensional horrors, a creepy mad scientist, and Dodgson's blessed camera knows what else. We're gonna jump right in here this week with the second half of the story. Hope you don't mind. So without further ado, we bring you the concluding half of The Wreck of the Charles Dexter Ward by Elizabeth Baer and Sarah Monette. Looking away from the light that showed the Charles Dexter Ward was no longer entirely dead, was as hard as opening a rusted zipper. But Cynthia did it and didn't let herself look back as she pulled Hester a little further down the corridor and said,
1: Now we really need to know how she killed him. And whether it'll work a second time. It should.
0: Hester said.
1: Whatever force is animating him, a big enough shock should disrupt it. We just have to find her machine. I like your use of the word just. Something like that, would it be portable or
2: not?
0: The Charles Dexter Ward's bioluminescence was continuing to ripple and pulse in an arrhythmic, not-quite pattern that was like nothing Cynthia had ever seen a Bhujan do before. It was already giving her the mother of all headaches, and if it was a reflection of the Charles Dexter Ward's state of mind, then she couldn't believe it was a good auspice.
1: One that could kill a Bhujan? Definitely not. So wherever she built it, that's where it is. But how do we find it? It's a boujama. How do we even look? Um...
0: Said Hester, and tugged Cynthia another few steps away from Fiorenzo's lab.
1: The closed stacks have a schematic. Professor Wandry said not to share it with... Outsiders.
0: Cynthia finished wearily, and Hester ducked her head like a reproved child. And of course, the Arkimers had a second, inner archive to which Cynthia had not been given access. It was their secrets that kept them alive and independent.
1: It's okay. You don't have to. No, at this point it's only stupid and self-destructive.
0: Hester said. Here. Cynthia's heads-up was filled with a spidery green constellation, the human-scale paths through the Charles Dexter Ward. She had only a moment to appreciate them before her pressure suit ballooned taut and a sudden sharp pressure in her ear canals distracted her. Reflexively, she opened her mouth and closed her eyes. Every spacer knew and feared that sensation, but it was just a pressure fluctuation, not a hull breach. She closed her mouth again and blew until her ears popped. When she opened her eyes, Hester was looking at her, head swaying in relief.
1: Good idea. Staying suited.
0: Cynthia took a tentative breath and gagged. The reek that had poisoned every breath since she stepped through Charlie's airlock was thick enough to taste now, and she wasted 30 seconds rechecking her perfectly functioning suit seals.
2: By Dodgson's blessed camera.
0: She swore, then belatedly realized that she didn't know how Hester felt about taking sacred names in vain.
2: I think that took a year off my life.
1: So long as it's just one.
0: Hester said. She ran a gloved hand up one of Charlie's dead interior bulkheads, tracing the rippling patterns of necroluminescence. Her fingers found an indentation, and Cynthia could see her face screw up with disgust through the bubble of the helmet. When she pushed in, her glove vanished to the knuckles. Charlie's flesh made a squelching sound. Hester hooked and ripped, mucilaginous strings of meat stretched and rent. She tossed a panel to the deck. It rang like ceramic. Behind, a cavity lined with readouts and conduits lay revealed. Hester, wincing, reached for a small rack of what Cynthia recognized as wireless connectors. She tugged one loose, made a face, and, before Cynthia could decide that she really ought to stop her, slotted it into a jack on her suit. Hester. Shh, Hester said.
1: I spent enough time researching the damn things. A dead one shouldn't... What? Run.
0: They ran, suits rustling and rasping, booted feet thudding dully on the deck. Off to the left, something scurried. Cynthia's head snapped around, but Hester put a hand on her arm and pulled. Tove, she said. Normally, you would never see a Tove on a Boozham, but Charlie's death had strained the fabric of space-time, making interdimensional slippage easier. And a dead Boozham could not eat its own parasites as their usual habits. Cynthia thought about the shattered ward mirror intended to defend against nastier creatures than Toves. Doppelkinder, Wraths, and other predators. It worked because it reflected nothing but the big empty. Even at dock, those warped, enormous mirrors wouldn't reflect on a human scale, and thus could not be exploited by the Doppelkinder, just as they blinded Wraths. Mirrors were not standard equipment on all ships, but for a hospital ship like Charlie, they were an extra line of safety.
2: Charlie broke it dying,
0: she guessed. Fiorenzo had invented the Doppelkinder, who didn't hunt Boogems and who would never have left Major Nagao's eyes intact as an alibi.
2: So, I know it's not Doppelkinder. What in Hades are we running from?
0: Then she heard something else. Not the scuttling of a tove, but a wetter sound, a bigger sound. She didn't have the strength of will not to glance back, and there, barely illuminated by Charlie's twitchy necroluminescence, she saw human silhouettes, a reaching arm with the remains of an ambulance corps uniform, the glare of an eyeball in a half-skinned face. Hester swung through a hatchway, pulling Cynthia with her, and slammed the emergency plate located behind the glass on the other side. A blast door dropped with decapitating force. If the Charles Dexter Ward were to be hulled, it was in the interests of crew and ship that pressure doors should guillotine any unfortunate they caught. It was a case of one life for many, and spacers learned not to stand in doorways. Cynthia tried to slow her breathing, to get more use out of her canned air.
1: Charlie opened a door,
0: Hester said. Cynthia squinted, but that didn't make what Hester was saying make any more sense. I'm missing some context. Hester tapped Charlie's connector, plugged it into her opposite forearm jack.
1: I've got access to his logs, and I think... I think he didn't like Fiorenzo killing his crew, because it's pretty clear from the logs that she was. I think that's why she electrocuted him, but the reanimated crew was killing the living crew and she doesn't seem to be able to control what she makes, so she lured them into a vacuum bay and sealed the door. But vacuum can't kill things that are already dead,
0: Cynthia said.
1: Charlie let his crew out.
0: Hester nodded, the boujums, crawling green and violet necroluminescence rippling across her corneas and the bubble of her suit.
1: He can open any door I override. And they're probably not very safe anymore.
0: Her throat hurt. She made herself stop swallowing and worked enough spit into her mouth to say,
2: Keep moving. We have to find Fiorenzo's device.
0: Part 4
2: She said she was in the morgue.
0: Cynthia muttered, What? Hester said, distracted by shooting the rotting hand off their lead pursuer.
2: Dr. Fiorenzo. She said when it happened, she was in the morgue. And she was the
1: pathologist. If she was going to hide something anywhere, she'd hide it there. Imagine you didn't get too many people dropping in for a friendly chat.
0: Hester said.
1: So where's the morgue from here?
0: By the time Cynthia had enough breath to reply, Running in a pressure suit was no picnic, and although Fiorenzo's reanimated corpses weren't very fast, they were indestructible and relentless. Hester had found the answer herself.
1: One up and two over. Okay, then.
0: Cynthia had spent time on a handful of Boogems, as passenger, as crew, that last nasty week on the Richard Trevithick as a prisoner, and there was no standard system of orientation. Some boujums had no internal signposts at all. Unless the captain gave you the schematic, you were dependent on a crew member to guide you around. The Charles Dexter Ward was probably the best and most thoughtfully labeled boujum Cynthia had ever seen, and even so, it was essentially markers to help you plot your position on a gigantic imaginary three-dimensional graph, onto which Charlie only problematically mapped. But it was better than nothing. And it was better than being torn apart by these mindless, malevolent things that Fiorenzo had created out of what had once been men and women. And surely, Cynthia thought, remembering the row of symbols on Major Nagao's uniform, the men and women who deserved it least. She had been appalled by Fiorenzo, and afraid of her, and a little admitted Cynthia, envious but now she began to truly become angry. Not at the pursuit of forbidden knowledge, but at the wanton destructiveness. That is good. Hester panted beside her.
2: I just wish it would stop them.
0: Cynthia said.
2: Or that anything would.
0: Thus far, though they'd kept ahead of the reanimated, they hadn't managed to lose them. Certainly not to stop them. Here. Hester said. The latter was stainless steel, dulled with Charlie's slow decomposition. Hester had to override the hatch at the top, with Cynthia crammed against her lower legs, to avoid the frustrated grabs of the reanimated beneath them. Hester helped Cynthia through the hatch, and they slammed it closed again. Then they took off running, two shambling scientists pursued by more shambling corpses than they could stop to count. The morgue, when they found it, was long and low and cold, and all too obviously the right place. It crawled with the same decayed-looking light as the rest of the Charles Dexter Ward, but here that light lined empty body bags and open lockers. Cynthia was careful to close and dog the door behind them before they proceeded down the length, Her skin crawled at the idea of locking herself in here, blocking her own route of escape. But what waited outside was worse. They'd managed to leave the reanimated behind, but Cynthia had no confidence that that would last. They came around a corner to find Dr. Fiorenzo crouched behind an autopsy table, huddling with Professor Wandry over a gaping hole in the decking. The ragged, Icarus edges framed something that looked like an exposed Bujim neural cluster. The former Major Nagao was silently handing Fiorenzo tools. Fiorenzo had a veterinary syringe in her hand, a medieval-looking device with a needle easily four inches long. It was filled with some colorless fluid. Cynthia could make out two more empties on the floor. Meredith. Cynthia didn't have to get close to see the lines of black stitchery holding the crushed edges of her neck together. Her head lolled to one side, tongue drooping from her slack mouth, and her eyes were half-lidded and beginning to glaze. Cynthia wondered how Fiorenzo had arranged to have one of the pressure doors catch Meredith, and how long it would be before she got around to Wandry and how he could be so blind as to not see that he would be Fiorenzo's next experiment. Hester raised and aimed her pistol. Wandry must have glanced up just then because he made a warning sound. Fiorenzo rose to her feet and turned. Light shivered along the needle of the syringe as she lowered it to a non-threatening position beside her thigh. The thing that had been Meredith took a shuffling step closer and Cynthia had to hide her cringe. For a moment, Cynthia waited, searching for words, wondering why Hester hadn't pulled the trigger. Dr. Foreworker. Wandry began. Somehow, Cynthia silenced him with a glance. It must have been scathing. Even her eyes felt scorched by it. Fiorenzo's eyes met Cynthia's.
1: You're a doctor, a researcher. You should understand.
2: I understand that you're a mass murderer, and you're putting everyone in this sector of space at risk. Your monsters, your victims, aren't far behind us. What are you going to do when Charlie lets them in here? I'm getting close. No, you're not.
0: Cynthia waved wildly at Major Nagao.
2: Maybe you've made him not dead, but you haven't made him alive. You can't. You can't make Meredith alive, and you can't make that poor bastard off the calico alive. You can animate the meat, but that's not the same thing, and you know it. This Bhujam isn't alive. What it is, is wrong.
0: The Charles Dexter ward shuddered beneath their feet, as if in agreement. Cynthia lurched into Hester, Wandry and the two dead people went down, and even Fiorenzo had to grab at a safety bar to keep her feet. Cynthia was reaching for Hester's arm to lift her sidearm back on the target. Fiorenzo slammed the syringe with which she had been about to inject the Charles Dexter Ward through her lab coat and trousers and into her own thigh. Cynthia stared, disbelieving. Fiorenzo straightened smiling, and was starting to say something when she seized, crashing to the deck as stiff and solid as a bar of iron. Cynthia said over to Wandry,
2: We have to stop this.
0: Science, Dr. Foreworker. Wandry began, and Cynthia shouted,
2: Science my ass!
0: which startled him into shutting up. Cynthia was a little startled herself, but she plunged on while she had the initiative.
2: Fiorenzo's leavings out there aren't science, they're walking nuclear waste and what she did to Meredith is murder.
0: That was an accident, Wandry began. Hester made a bitter noise that wasn't a laugh.
1: (laughs) Do you really believe that?
0: Wandry didn't answer her. He said, Dr. Fiorenzo has achieved a remarkable- And that was when he made the mistake of letting Meredith get too close. Cynthia and Hester had not stopped to ponder the intentions of their reanimated pursuers, not with Charlie's stuttering necroluminescence all around them and the carnage everywhere they looked. But if they had wondered, any last niggling doubt would have been unequivocally dispelled. Meredith tore Wandry to pieces, starting with his mandible. Hester screamed, so did Wandry, for a while. Cynthia dragged Hester back, both of them sprayed with Wandry's blood like stationer graffiti, and said, her voice low and frantic,
2: We have to find the machine, now, while the door is still closed and Meredith is... distracted.
0: Hester's gulp might have been a sob, or a hysterical laugh, but she nodded. They looked around, trying to ignore the gory welter in the center of the room. There wasn't much there beyond dissection tables and refrigeration units. A microscope locked down on a stand, a centrifuge.
2: Why would you have so many refrigeration units when the universe's biggest refrigerator is right outside your door?
0: Cynthia muttered.
2: One, sure, for samples and
0: emergencies, but... They skirted the edges of the room, both keeping an uneasy eye on their roommate, but Meredith seemed to have forgotten about them, which was all to the good. The first refrigerator unit was just that, a nice Tohiro Nakonen that now needed very badly to be cleaned out. The second was a jury-rigged something. From the look on Hester's face, she had no more idea than Cynthia did. But next to that, back in the corner where it was awkward to reach, lower and bulkier,
1: That's it. Hester said. Has to be. Can you figure out how to turn it on?
0: Cynthia said. She stole a glance at Fiorenzo, still seizing, and Meredith, still busy. Watch me. Hester said confidently and wiggled into the cramped space.
1: Or rather, don't watch me. Watch for
0: company. And she passed Cynthia her pistol. You got it, Cynthia said, although it wasn't clear that the pistol would be any more use than a wedding bouquet if the reanimated found them and Charlie decided to open the doors. Pursuant to that thought, she asked,
1: Can you communicate with him at all? Charlie, I mean? I've tried,
0: Hester said.
1: I don't know if it's just that I can't or that he doesn't recognize me as crew. Rats,
0: Cynthia said,
1: because it occurred to me that the best way to get rid of the reanimated would be for Charlie to eat them. Oh, said Hester. Well, that would certainly be tidy. Although I'm not entirely sure that he could. It doesn't look to me as if Fiorenzo's reanimated can actually digest anything. Well, there goes that idea,
0: Cynthia said.
1: But he could still chew on them, couldn't he? If they went to his mouth. But he probably can't just reabsorb them.
0: Charles Dexter Ward shuddered again. Hester was knocked against the wall, and Cynthia ended up in a drunken sprawl against the galvanic motor. I think... Hester said dryly.
1: That something isn't quite right. Do you think that's what the second dose of serum was for?
2: Probably. Do you think without it, he'll die again?
0: Horrible to sound so hopeful. Horrible to be in a situation where that was the optimum outcome.
1: Nagao hasn't,
0: Hester said. Cynthia was trying to think of an answer that was neither obscene nor dangerously blasphemous when motion caught her eye. She jerked around, but it wasn't Meredith or Nagao. It was a tove.
2: There weren't any toves in here, were there?
0: They'd encountered a Tove colony, several corridors away from the morgue, thick on the ceiling and walls, and starting to creep across the floor. The smell cut through even the stench in Cynthia's nostrils, and she and Hester both had to fight not to gag at the crunch and lingering squish of Toves under their boots. No. Hester said. Why? Cynthia aimed carefully and shot the Tove.
2: Just hurry up, okay?
0: All by themselves, Toves weren't much more than a nuisance, at least not to a healthy adult. But where Toves went, Wraths were sure to follow, and Wraths were dangerous. And where Wraths went would surely come Bandersnatches, and while a Bandersnatch could probably deal with Fiorenzo's mistakes, it would happily annihilate the rest of them all as well.
1: Firenzo's got it backwards, you know.
0: Hester said in a would-be casual voice, instead of calling Cynthia on the evasion. Oh? Cynthia said warily. Hester was under tremendous pressure and had just watched one member of her family murder another at extremely close range. Cynthia wouldn't blame her in the slightest for falling apart, but they desperately needed it not to be right now.
1: The fresher the body, the worse the results.
0: Hester said.
1: Meredith being Exhibit A. She must have reanimated Meredith within minutes. Only as long as it takes to sew a head back on,
0: Cynthia thought. Aloud, she said,
1: I see what you mean. So she's wrong,
0: Hester said fiercely.
1: I had to say it to someone. The odds of having the opportunity to refute her theories in print...
0: Cynthia wanted to close her eyes, but she had to keep watch on Meredith, Fiorenzo, Nagao, and everything else. She said, I understand. Okay. Hester said, scrambling back to Cynthia's side.
1: The machine is drawing power and I've started it cycling. Now we just have to attach the leads to Charlie's nervous system.
0: She brandished a thick double handful of cables and Cynthia followed her gaze to the hole Fiorenzo had dug in the deck of the morgue, with Wandry's remains on one side and Fiorenzo's rigor-stiff figure on the other. Nagao was standing patiently where Fiorenzo had left him. Meredith had moved to the door, which she was pawing at with obvious confusion. But she wasn't Charlie's crew. He wasn't opening it for her.
2: Can't we just, I don't know, rip him open ourselves?
1: It would take too long,
0: Hester said with a crispness that betrayed her own reluctance.
1: Besides, I don't have the specialized diagnostic equipment. We'd need to find a node, and Fiorenzo must have cannibalized hers. Or maybe left it somewhere.
0: Cynthia swallowed her arguments.
1: Okay, will the cables reach? I suspect that node is where she attached them the first time,
0: Hester said.
1: But let's find out.
0: Hester paid the cables out carefully. Cynthia kept pace, trying to keep her attention on far too many threats at once. A Cheshire's sixteen eyes had never sounded so good. Cynthia and Hester's movement attracted Meredith's attention, and she started in their direction, not in the all-out berserker charge of the other reanimated, but in that slow-seeming sidle that had lethally fooled Wandry. Cynthia shot her, aiming as best she could for the knee. They had learned by the good old scientific method of try it and find out that the pistol could not damage a reanimated corpse enough to unanimate it, but it could cripple one. The trick was to make sure any bits you knocked off were too small to do any damage when they kept coming after you. At this range, even Cynthia couldn't miss. Meredith didn't make a sound, she couldn't with severed vocal cords, but the silent rictus of shock, pain, Cynthia wondered bleakly, was almost worse. She went down and continued dragging herself forward, but her hands couldn't get much purchase on the deck plates protecting the Charles Dexter Ward's tissue, especially slick as they were with Wandry's fluids. Hester had reached the dark and wetly shining hole. She knelt clumsily, then looked up, a brave, if not convincing, effort at a smile on her face. You'd better... She started. Then, voice and smile failed together, her face going slack with an emotion Cynthia couldn't identify until a voice behind her, a grating, hollow snarl, said, Stop. And then she knew, because she could feel her own face mirroring Hester's. It was horror. Cynthia turned. Dr. Fiorenzo was struggling to her feet. She stretched. She examined at her hands. She took a carotid pulse. She smiled.
1: All it took,
0: she said calmly,
1: was a fresh enough specimen. Really, Dr. Feuerwerker?
2: You of all people should appreciate my success.
0: Cynthia stepped backward, once, twice. She worried about stepping into the pit, about tripping over Hester, about edging too close to Meredith and her undead strength. But she couldn't take her eyes away from Fiorenzo. And she couldn't, viscerally couldn't, let Fiorenzo close the gap between them, no matter how sweet and reasonable she sounded. Something brushed Cynthia's ankle. She almost squeezed off a shot, the last in her pistol, before realizing that it was Hester mutely offering up the power cables. They were too thick to manage one-handed. Cynthia would have to let go of the gun. Not live, she said. Hester said,
1: I'll worry about that.
0: Carefully, watching Fiorenzo the whole time, Cynthia handed Hester the gun and took the cables. They were heavy. How had Hester handled them so easily?
2: Dr. Fiorenzo, stop.
0: Fiorenzo took another step, but she was eyeing the cables cautiously. Cynthia was at the limit of their length, and the pit was behind her. She could retreat no farther.
2: I assure you, I'm no threat. This process will save lives.
0: Cynthia heard Hester scrambling. Did she intend to get past Fiorenzo somehow? No, she was edging to the side, still keeping Cynthia as her buffer. Thanks a lot but if their positions were reversed would cynthia be doing any differently it will save your life fiorenzo said and lunged her strength was incredible cynthia swung the cables against her head again and again until fiorenzo pinioned her arms they rolled to the floor fiorenzo landed on top Fiorenzo's teeth worried at the seam of Cynthia's pressure suit. Cynthia got a foot up and kicked, but couldn't knock her off.
2: Incoming!
0: Hester yelled. Fiorenzo's head jerked up, and Cynthia thought,
2: What damn good is...
0: The report of the pistol would have been deafening in the confined space of the morgue, if not for Cynthia's suit filters. Fiorenzo thrashed for a second, the left side of her skull blossoming into a cratered exit wound. Cynthia threw herself free and rolled across the decking.
1: Cables!
0: Hester yelled. Cynthia grabbed them from the middle and yanked. The ends came slithering towards her, sparking against the deck, heavy yellow sparks. Cynthia grabbed them by the insulation and lifted. Fiorenzo rolled to a crouch, then stood. She laughed, one eye bobbing gently at the end of its optic nerve against her cheek. She sprang forward like a racer. Cynthia jabbed the cables into her chest. Fiorenzo arched back as the current went through her, hands splayed and clawing. She didn't scream. There was no other sound to cover the crack of electricity, the hiss of cooking flesh. She slumped. Cynthia jumped backward, but Fiorenzo's outflung hand still fell across her boot. She turned wildly. Meredith was still crawling toward her. Hester crouched by the controls, sliding the master switch back to off.
1: Decomp tie-ins,
0: Hester said.
1: You use the bolt nearest the panel.
0: She stepped over Fiorenzo's corpse, her boot disturbing the gentle wisps of steam still rising, and dropped into the hole again.
1: And hand me the fucking cables again, would you please?
0: Following orders was the easiest, most pleasant thing that Cynthia had ever done. She clipped and locked her safety line to the bolt. She slid the power control back to full. And Hester must have done it because the Charles Dexter Ward convulsed. Cynthia was jerked hard against her tether and then slammed back into the machine, and that was with only enough slack to attach the line. Everything unanchored went flying. She heard the crunch as Meredith hit a bulkhead, and then she was jerked forward again and blacked out. She couldn't have been out for more than a minute, she reckoned later. She could hear things still cascading in thumps and crunches, but the ship himself was not moving, and more importantly, more tellingly, his necroluminescence was gone. The only light was Hester's suit lamp, and Cynthia fumbled her own on.
1: Thank the ancient powers and the Buddha,
0: Hester said in a thin, fervent voice.
1: I thought you were dead.
0: Cynthia swallowed bright copper where she'd bitten the inside of her mouth. Ow. Hester was undoing her safety line and dragging herself upright. Cynthia undid her own line with shaky fingers, and then her head cleared, and she made it to her feet in one adrenaline-sour jerk. She twisted around, scanning, but Meredith was nowhere within the limited range of her light. She saw one of Nagao's legs and part of his spine. He had been torn apart by the force of Charlie's convulsions. And as she watched, the foot twitched. Do
1: you think we can make it back to the Caitlyn R. Kiernan alive?
0: Hester said. Cynthia squared her shoulders, wincing a little, and answered.
2: I think we can try.
0: In his second death throws. the Charles Dexter Ward had taken a chunk out of the Jarmolowitz Astronomica, like a kid biting a chunk out of an apple. The casualties were five dead and thirteen injured, and they would have been worse, except that everyone possible had been press-ganged into helping with the broken ward mirror. The medical bay was gone, and now Cynthia knew why she'd only ever seen the one future ghost, because there had only been one future path in which there was still a medical bay. The future path she knew with cold, uncomfortable certainty, in which she had not stood up to Wandry and Fiorenzo, in which the Charles Dexter Ward had not died twice. Cynthia patched up the crew as best she could with bandages made of cloth and splints repurposed from any number of functions, and the crew patched up the Jarmolowitz Astronomica. The mass funeral was devastating. Cynthia stood with Hester and let Hester's grip leave bruises on her hand. She bunked in with Hester, which was tight but doable. On her first sleep shift, after she finished brushing what she hoped was the last of the Charles Dexter Ward's death stench out of her mouth, she came into Hester's room and found two smug Cheshires in the hammock slung crossways above Hester's bunk. She surprised herself by bursting into tears.
2: I'm okay. I'm okay.
0: She said, fending off Hester's concern.
2: I just didn't expect them to find me.
1: They know you.
0: Hester said as if it were all that simple. The Jarmulowitz Astronomica sent out a distress signal and before leaving the Charles Dexter ward, they set warning beacons around the Boozham's carcass. The Universal Code didn't have an entry for reanimated. Hester told Cynthia that the Faculty Senate passed a motion to submit a proposal to add it before agreeing that the best they could do for now was epidemic alternating with Bandersnatch and trust that it would be dire enough to warn people away. And there was always the story, Cynthia thought, and that would do more good than a hundred beacons. Their distress call was answered less than a week out by a live ship. The Judith Merrill and her crew lost nearly all their native distrust of Archimers and their desire for the details. Cynthia, as a non-Archimer, was pestered nearly to death but she was willing to tell the story as often as necessary to make people believe it. And she knew perfectly well that half the reason she got so many questions was the Judith Merrill's crew double-checking what the Archimers told them. Everyone knew Archimers lied. She was amused, though, and also touched that their greatest concern was for what Fiorenzo had done to the Charles Dexter Ward. They were fiercely protective of their ship, and while they were horrified by the idea of Fiorenzo reanimating the dead, it was Charlie they wanted to lynch her for. It was the wreck of the Charles Dexter Ward that was going to make the story, and Firenze would be merely its villain, not a scientist striving, however wrong-headedly, for knowledge. With the Jarmulowitz Astronomica in a cargo bay, Cynthia and Hester and a random assortment of Cheshires were sharing a dormitory cubicle somewhere under the Judith Merrill's left front fin. The purser had offered to put her somewhere else, but Cynthia had turned him down. Until they reached Faraday Station, her contract bound her to the Jarmolowitz Astronomica, and even after that, friendship would bind her to Hester. And the bare truth was, she didn't want to try to sleep alone. When Cynthia reached their cubicle at the start of her next sleep shift, she said, What makes
2: forbidden knowledge forbidden, anyway?
0: Hester looked up with visible alarm.
2: No, I haven't found another Migo canister.
0: Cynthia said, amazed to find that she was able to joke about it.
2: I was just thinking about Fiorenzo and... Well, how do you figure out where to draw the line? Because
1: apparently I don't know. You do know,
0: Hester said.
1: You knew Fiorenzo was wrong before I did. I knew Fiorenzo was suicidal. That's not quite the same thing. No,
0: Hester said.
1: You looked at Nagao and you knew it was wrong. You saw the person suffering first, not the scientific achievement.
0: Cynthia winced. She had looked up Major Nagao, Major Kirawat Nagao, RN, MSC, but had had to draw back from attempting to contact his next of kin. What could she say? It was Nagao and the rest of the Charles Dexter Ward's crew that she still felt worst about. Charlie himself was at least peacefully dead. Even the pseudo-ghosts had faded out before the Jarmulowitz Astronomica was picked up by the Judith Merrill, showing that the space-time disruptions were healing. But the reanimated were trapped in their dead ship, and the best that could be hoped for was that Fiorenzo's serum might someday wear off. Someday, which might just be another word, for never."
1: You said yourself you wouldn't put anyone in a canister.
0: Hester continued, pursuing the argument and jarring Cynthia out of a sad and pointless spiral of thought.
1: And I suspect you wouldn't have experimented at all if it had still had a brain in it. No,
0: Cynthia said, then muttered rebelliously.
1: I still think we could find really valuable applications for the knowledge. Which is exactly what we told you about Fiorenzo. Ouch,
0: Cynthia said. She swung into her hammock and rearranged the Cheshires to give her space.
1: Mostly, I've always thought forbidden knowledge was another way of saying don't do that or the Bandersnatches will get you.
0: Hester pursued thoughtfully.
1: Or, I suppose, the Mego.
2: Which is frequently true.
1: Yes, but it never stops us.
0: Hester looked up at Cynthia, her eyes dark.
1: Maybe that's the worst part of human nature. Nothing ever stops us. Not for long.
2: Not for long.
0: Cynthia agreed and petted the tentacled horror on her lap until it cuddled close and began to purr. That was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Full cast productions are fun stuff. Special thanks again to all our voice actors in that half. Sarah Tolbert as Cynthia, Renee Chambliss as Hester, John Smarr as Professor Wandry, and Veronica Giger as Dr. Fiorenzo. I hope this isn't the last we hear from this series. I'm all wondering about the Doppelkinder now and what those cryptic Migo are up to with brain canisters. So, that concludes Lovecraft Month, folks. Back to your regularly scheduled programming next week. If you enjoyed this story, or any of the stories this week, and you're a donor to the Drabblecast, pat yourself on the back. You made it happen, folks. That's right, the Drabblecast relies on the support of generous listeners like yourself to happen at all. We say we commissioned original fiction this past month. What we really meant is, you commissioned original fiction this month. We Drabblecast staff are just a medium or conduit that you happen to find engaging and adequate. Hit up our website at travelcast.org to find support options if you aren't currently donating. You can donate once in any amount, or sign up for an automatic five or ten bucks a month subscription. We're eternally grateful. So that's our show, folks. Remember, Travelcast is produced with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever you pick up our show. Blog about us, tell a friend, spread the weird. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Travelcast Art Director Bo Kyer. Bo would like to thank all the Drabblecast artists out there for the hundreds of covers created in the name of the tentacle. If any talented listeners out there would like to join the art rotation, email your intent and a link of work samples to Bo at Bo at For an immediate start, go to Drabblecast.org, search DARP, D-A-R-P, and select one of the remaining 26 cover episodes. Send an email. So, our program is brought to you by myself, Nikki Drayden, managing editor, our submissions editor Nathan Lee, editor-at-large Matthew Bay, our art director Bo Kire, and with additional help from Tom Baker, David Carvin, David Steffen, Jake Webb, and Jonathan McNeil. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman, reminding you not to forget about Meredith. <music>